Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. We are the Thinking Fans podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. Join the revolution, which will be televised and podcasted. My name is Chris Mumford, a professor of innovation at UNC Chapel Hill. Bella Ciao. I'm joined by philosopher king, or I mean philosopher coach, Scott Martin, Sam, our man in Madrid, Leverage, and not in my house, Alex Comasia, a central defender and pro for North Carolina FC. This week, we're going to recap the tidal wave of matches and preview the relevant weekend matches. Gentlemen, everything's going so fast. I got my poor popcorn and wet beverage ready. I went to the loo and yowza, three games have passed before I could get settled on my optimized for football viewing sofa. Can it be real? Are we already 25% done with the rest of the season? How do we tap the brakes? Well, let's go ahead and get started with a recap of the most interesting and influential games. Andale, andale, vale, vale. So Sam, can you get us, or actually Scott, let's start with the Real Valencia uh, game. Can you recap that for us? Yeah, the first half was a pretty uh, static performance from both sides. I think Valencia got four shots off. Uh, Real Madrid had a pretty comparable total. Uh, one of the things we saw, though, uh, is that after the break, Real just came alive. Uh, it was really interesting to see the, the difference in tempo. Uh, we saw Valencia really struggle to make any progress in the attack. In fact, for the second half, they did not record a single shot. So, I mean, that's, that's mind-boggling that a, a top seven side in La Liga, uh, a team that's on the verge, or at least within reach of Champions League qualification, they couldn't get a single shot off in the second half. So, you know, we've seen these, these types of attacking droughts from Valencia uh, in the past this season, but, um, but yeah, that, uh, that stagnant attack combined with Real Madrid really coming to life, dominating uh, the game and creating a number of quality chances uh, put Valencia away. So one thing we, we started to see as the game progressed, and you know, especially as Danny Parejo left, um, Francis Coquelin came into the game, played in that lone pivot role. That moved Kondogbia higher, uh, higher up the pitch, which from a tactical perspective, I didn't really like. Uh, if you do want goals, you're going to push a little bit more in the attack. You know, why not have Parejo instead of Kondogbia? I know Kondogbia gives you the pressing. Maybe uh, you have a little more success reclaiming the ball in the attacking half of the pitch. But you're also losing your best set piece taker and probably your most creative central player. So one thing we saw is that when they moved to the single pivot, the lines or the space between the lines really started to, to, uh, to maximize. And Real Madrid just picked Valencia apart between the lines. So especially, you know, leading up to the, the Benzema goal, uh, which, I mean, what an incredible play that was. Um, we saw Marco Asensio first game back from, uh, you know, nearly a year of recovering from his, his injury. Uh, also scored a goal with his first touch in 11 months. Uh, he picked up the ball between the lines, ran at uh, the back line, and we saw Benzema start his run from between the, the midfield and defensive lines, 
cut just in front of the Valencia back line, take that, that little dink of a touch over his defender's foot and hit that on the volley into the net. So, uh, but the key there was that the space between the lines just continued to grow throughout the game. It was getting more and more stretched. We saw Valencia not starting to track back quite as well as the game progressed. And, I mean, if you're going to offer Real Madrid that kind of space, I mean, that's it's comparable to a shark sensing blood in the water. So they took advantage of it full force. So, Alex, in those situations when those lines are starting to widen open and you have someone like a Benzema, what, what, do, you, what do you even think about as a defender? How do you defend against something like that? <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. Um, especially when at this point they're they're two zero up. They have guys like Asensio coming off the bench, making an impact. Vinicius changes the game completely uh, with his direct one v one play. He has the most touches in an opponent's eighteen out of every La Liga player. So you know he is not afraid to go one v one and occupy your your right back, which forces you as a center back to shift over, which leaves more space for guys like Benzema to take advantage. And he's just on fire right now. So every, everything is going in. He can do it with his left foot, with his right foot, with his head. You know, he's actually deceptively quite strong and physically um, dominant. You know, you don't really talk about that as much, although we do call him Big Benz. You know, you see him more as this technical dribbler who's capable of doing a, a lot of different um, things. So it, it's very difficult, Chris. Uh, it's, it sounds like, uh, Valencia didn't get it figured out for this, this match here. So uh, let's, let's turn our attention to the next match, the, uh, Atletico Madrid game. Uh, Sam, can you walk us through, through this match? Yeah. So basically just forget everything you knew about Atletico Madrid before this match. It was the total opposite of what we usually see from them. I think five goals away from home, their biggest away win in, years and years I can't remember the exact day but it was a long time ago that Atletico Madrid last scored five goals let alone last scored five goals away from home and against Osasuna who aren't a bad team at all I mean they got some goals from Jao Felix who was very quick very sharp in his reactions early on in the game and then later on in the game the game really changed when Marcus Rente came on I know we discussed it last week and his role as kind of the the false nine and the second striker but this week against Osasuna, he was even better. And it was incredible when he came on. I think he was on for 25 minutes. He scored and a set of two goals as well. So a real impact from him. And you can see in, in some of the examples of his play, I mean, he set up Alvaro Morata and it was really kind of the perfect summary of the impact that Llorente has because he was really providing that connection between the midfield and the attack, which is something that's been missing quite a lot this season. But he would drop deep bring out the defender and then Alvaro Morata would look to exploit the space in behind. And that's something that we haven't seen at all because we've had Morata up front with Jao Felix or with Diego Costa. And Diego Costa in particular tends to be on that last man. Jao Felix comes very deep. And so then you don't have those kinds of spaces opening up for Morata to exploit. But I think the Llorente and Morata, you've got a really promising front too there. Let's go ahead and move on to the next match. The Sevilla-Barcelona, which had some pretty thrilling billings to it. Alex, can you walk us through what happened in this match? Yeah, how to play against Barcelona 101. Real masterclass here by, by Sevilla. You know, I think they should have won the game. Um, Reguidon had that chance at the very end, and I think he, he scuffed it. Uh, he definitely should have scored. 
you know, I, I love their, their first play. They really, Barca had possession. It was their kickoff, and Sevilla got right in their face. They pressed high. They made them feel uncomfortable for about 30 seconds to one minute, and then they dropped off into a lower block. And I think, you know, that was, it was good to start off with that intensity just to show them, okay, we're here to play. And we knew that. We expected that. We previewed that in our, in our, last, uh, in our last episode, that Sevilla would be ready to play. You know, young Kude, Kunde, the center back, the French center back, was was incredible. He nearly scored in the first half, um, and then he had that <laughs> amazing header off Messi's free kick. You know, I've never seen a play quite like that, where a center back drops off the wall just to clear it out. You know, that was going in. I don't think the keeper would have got there. You know, Chris, you can debate on that with me. Um, you know, should Messi have gotten a red pushing Diego Carlos, even a yellow? I'm not sure. He was definitely frustrated throughout the the whole match and and look wide play we talked about wide play with Sevilla they were excellent out wide they were excellent at playing quick long balls as soon as you know they won back possession and it wasn't just for the sake of playing long balls it was you know across the field into space that was uncomfortable for their for Barcelona's fullbacks and then the most important part I thought for Sevilla was rushing up to get that second ball. I thought the way they they uh, they dealt and got over and shifted to get the second ball was was incredible. Um, again, an amazing start to the second half. Fifty fifth minute, Ocampos catches Barcelona sleeping on a quick free kick. You know, Liverpool like almost he should have he should have scored if not for Tostegan. Uh Messi was frustrated the whole game. Everything was central. You know, he did not see the impact uh, that he had like in other games. Everything, again, was, was so central. Barcelona is the, I think, last rated last in terms of crosses per 90. So in this game, that, that, that played well into Sevilla's, uh, into Sevilla's game. And just to paint a picture in, in, in one scene, you know, in, in the 27th minute, you know, you, you, you got an example there of, of Barcelona's midfield three and their front three, you know, all within 30 meters and just so condensed, very easy for uh, Sevilla to deal with and, and press and, and step up on. And I, I thought Carlos and, and Kunde again, did an incredible job of that. Um, the ball was always going out to Semedo and, and nothing was really happening. So I thought it was an amazing performance again by Sevilla and, and Madrid took advantage of that and, and jumped to number one, Scott, so, uh, Sam, just your, your yeah. quick take on Sevilla. I mean, they, they're very direct style, uh, really did a great job of frustrating Barca. What are some other t- observations you have? Well, I think the main thing that I took from this game was that, I mean, neither team really wanted to gamble. I think with Barcelona, I would have really loved to have seen from Kike Setien would have been to see Ansu Fati come on. If he wasn't going to start, come on as a substitute because, I mean, we saw how central and, and, as Alex said, how narrow the, the Barcelona front three were. And I think with Ansu Fati, he gives you that width and a bit of pace. But up against some tired legs in particular, could have had a real impact and really stretched the game. And that was kind of what Julian Lopetegui looked to do. And he brought in on Eva Benega at half-time and very different player to Fati, but Benega kind of sat in that deeper playmaker kind of role and looked to play 50, 60-yard passes to stretch the game. And so I think... There were two players who I think could have had a real impact and Benega came on and he really influenced the second half with his passing and his vision and 
and not allowing the short passes that the Barcelona were trying to do. And then on the other side, I would have liked to have seen Ansu Fati come on to Barcelona and stretch that severe defence. I mean, they weren't really tested. They didn't have too much pace running at them. I think they were quite comfortable once they got into their structure. I think Ansu Fati would have been the perfect player to, to disrupt that. So, yeah, I mean, the attacking player seems really the only one who provides any kind of 1v1 uh, ability on the wings. Messi likes to drift in centrally, so although he can beat a guy in the dribble, he's going to be in that right half space or in the central channel. So at least yeah. Fati gives him something a little bit different. He's a guy who doesn't mind making the run in behind, which, I mean, you take a look at, you know, the example from that, that 27 minute, it's the three Barcelona forwards playing centrally all between the lines, not moving that defense at all. So if you if you are going to play between the lines, I mean, the the ideas are either receive and run at the back line, with, hopefully with one or two players ahead of you who can run behind the lines, or pull someone out of that back line, disorganize them to then uh, play over or through them. So I think everybody knows that when that trio of Barcelona attackers starts together, when they're on the pitch together, just take away the middle. You know, don't don't alter your back line. There's no need to shuffle. They will stay right there in front of you. It's it's very predictable. Well, good. Yeah. Well, that'll that, that'll be good advice for the other teams in La Liga. Just keep Barca from operating in. in <laughs> so uh, so we'll see. But I tell you what, Scott. Let's get real, real. I mean to say, let's talk about Real Madrid and Real Sociedad. Uh, this is a game with, at first glance, you take a look, 50-50 possession. You look at the number of shots, 11 or 12 versus 15, but that's not actually, it was really a tale of two halves. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, it really was a tale of two halves. Uh, we saw Real Madrid with roughly 65% possession in the second half, or the first half, and then Real Sociedad with 65% possession in the second. So even with all that possession, though, uh, we didn't see either team really establish much of a flow and much of an attacking presence in, in this game. So it was a pretty cagey affair. Um, we did see, we did see um, Real Sociedad try to establish, you know, that, that central overload with the attacking players and then get the, the two outside backs high up the pitch, high and wide areas so they can provide the width. Um, but they really struggled to, to break down this Real Madrid defense. Uh, Real Madrid had Valverde, for the most part, on the right-hand side. James started there, which, by the way, James is playing again. Uh, so James started on the right-hand side. Then, it, you know, things were just weren't working out very well. He switched with Valverde, played more of a 10. Um, Valverde was very active up and down the lines, denying space to the, the outside backs. And, you know, it, it was just a very... Know, the teams were very reluctant to take many chances. And fortunately for Real Madrid, when the opportunities did pop up, they at least showed the class to take advantage of them. So, you know, granted, definitely not a, a match without its controversy. <laughs> so, you know, I've got, uh, already got messages from the Barcelona fans <laughs> about the... Not the just the Barcelona fans, uh, Every uh, football fan. <laughs> yeah, oh, there we go, there we go. <laughs> so, but, um, but you know, I mean, when it comes down to it, Real Madrid took their chances. Uh, they only, I think they, they had just below one non-expected or non-penalty XG 
so expected goals minus penalty kicks uh, was like 0.9 to Real Sociedad's 0.45. So not a whole lot of great chances for either side. Um, really mostly half chances for the two teams. I would say here though as well that I think this was the best that we've seen of Real Sociedad since the restart, I think. They didn't have too many clear-cut chances, as you say, Scott, but I think they looked a lot more fluid, particularly in the second half when they did start to control some more possession. And they started to look a bit more like a team again. And I mean, Mikel Mourinho was kind of, Mourinho was kind of the, the key player in midfield. He was controlling and dictating play from there. And I think they did quite well in that second half to come back into the game. And for me, Yanazai's goal should have stood. And there was never a penalty. And then it was a handball. But... On another night, it's the kind of game that Real Sociedad might have won or, or picked up a point. No so, Offside. So Alex, Alex, in that and that the super high press is like that under pressure. What what what's your mindset as as a center back there? Well, it depends if you have the players to play out of that pressure or not. So if you do have the players to play out of that pressure and they have the technical capability and the confidence, because it's not just about ability. And I say, yeah, go for it. You know, whatever, whatever way you do that is usually specific to the coaching staff. Some, some of the coaching staff like to have the center backs very narrow so that the fullbacks can come back and, get, and receive the ball and you can start possession that way. Others like the center back very wide. And then you split the center backs with one defensive midfielder, which is what Madrid usually does with Casemiro. You know, something – then you got, ask guys like Pep Guardiola and he does a bunch of – different tactics in terms of the uh, the fullbacks coming into the midfield, the midfielders going out wide. So there's a switch there that causes confusion. There's a lot of different ways to get out of the press. And that is something teams train a lot on. And the reason why they do that is because if you break that first line of pressure and the second, all of a sudden you have your best players on the ball, your attacking mids, your wingers, and your forward going maybe 4v4 or 5v4 or, or even numbers against the back line of the opponent. So there's a huge responsibility there for the center backs, the goalkeeper. Obviously, the goalkeeper role has changed, as, as we all know. The fullbacks and the defensive midfielder to get out of that pressure. So that's modern-day football, and I expect that to continue to keep going. Nice. Well, Sam, let's let's turn our attention to the um, – to the, uh, Next games in terms of the um, Granada Villarreal. Can yeah. you talk about that? For so, sure. Two of the teams who'd who'd enjoyed the best form after the break coming into this one, and Granada are home and they were the slight favourites perhaps against Villarreal. It was quite interesting from them as kind of their informed player so far has been Carlos Fernandez, the the striker who's on loan from Sevilla. But in this game, he sat into a deeper role, so he was more kind of an attacking midfielder than a an out-and-out striker. And it gave them a lot less threat when they were going forward. They relied a lot more on Roberto Soldado, who was a bit more of a target man for Granada. They were a lot more direct in how they were playing, but not so much into the wide areas as they did against Betis, but more just aiming for Soldado and hoping that he'd hold the ball up. So it was quite a change in their attacking strategy. And then for Villarreal, it was very much more of the same. And they, they grabbed a goal from Gerard Moreno, a real poacher in attack and that's very much what they rely on kind of getting the ball forward getting the ball into the box and then hoping that it falls to to one of their forwards and in Moreno and Paco Alcacer they've got two great players in that mould even Carlos Baca the, the third try striker they're very similar in that they're 
kind of poachers, foxes in the boxes who like to be in and around the six-yard box and, and tapping in the, the final effort. And that was what they did. And then they managed to hold out in the end to, to keep a clean sheet, which is what they did for the first three games back. So very defensively strong. Sergio Asenko in goal in great form. And we've seen as well, they haven't made too many changes to their back line. And so Raul Albiol has played every game since the return to action. So I think it's very much about keeping like consistency with Villarreal. They've managed to, to establish kind of the defensive strength and then hold on to that. Very nice. Scott, any thoughts on that on that match? Or uh, So I wasn't able to watch that match. Um, but, I mean, over the course of the season, we have seen Granada uh, really use that strong defensive foundation to to put them in a position where, uh, you know, they're really not too far out of Europa qualification, uh, which is shocking given that, you know, they're a recently promoted side. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a very, it's a very strict disciplined approach from the club. It's not always the most enjoyable football to watch, but I mean, they're, they're getting results and credit to them. Uh, it's a difficult league to put together that kind of, so you're, so you're saying they're they're the Burnley of of, of of La Liga? It seems like in terms of being able to make a run, it. I don't know if I want to be that harsh, but <laughs> not too far. Hey Sam, well, let's say you've been to Burnley and been to Granada will tell you they're very different places. Yeah. <laughs> so Sam, let's stay with Villarreal and Sevilla, yeah. which was uh, yeah, so almost enjoyable match. Almost forget everything I said about defensive strength from Villarreal. Mm-hmm. as Sevilla kind of worked them out very well and it was quite interesting when Villarreal started well again very similar to Paco Alcácer got that poachers finish inside the box quite early on and at that point as a Sevilla fan you're kind of depressed thinking how's it going to end up one they were great but they did find their way back into it and it was quite interesting how they did that because Villarreal sat into a very low block and Sevilla instantly started to take quite a few shots from distance and, and try their luck and Sergio Escudero scored an equaliser like that but what was really interesting was in the second half. So we saw Pau Torres score from a corner to give Villarreal the lead, but then Lepotegui made two changes at the break and it was definitely aimed at, at giving Sevilla that width again. And so we've spoken before about how important their fullbacks are, how important their wingers are. And so we saw Jesus Navas come on at half-time. I think the other subs were, were Munir and Campos, so two of their most defensive wide players. And they all came on with this target of really stretching the game and, Viral was sitting deep and compact, very narrow, and the idea of those players coming almost to, to stretch the game and open things up a lot more. And, and that was just what happened. And it was Mini who got the equaliser in the end. And that was, again, one of those chances where he came in at the back post after Jesus Navas had bombed down the other flank. And, and that wide play definitely coming into things. In the first half, they were relying on those long shots from distance. In the second half, they stretched the game enough that they could get down the flanks, get the ball into the box, and then try and convert from there. I will tell you, as, as a goalkeeper, seeing that shot from 25 yards out at that angle go in was just just a heartbreaker, right? But I absolutely hate the netting just uh, inside of the uh, the posts. I think they should actually cut them out because uh, it breaks breaks goalkeepers' hearts when when balls are put into that section there. But uh, uh, we'll see what the uh, net industrial complex if they comply or not. So um, so let's turn our attention. We've got a lot of games um, coming up, and we should keep our seatbelts on. And I've got my wet beverages and popcorn ready to go, so I will not be caught flat-footed like last time. Um, 
Let's talk about the Celta Vigo and Barca game. Sam, why, why should I care about that, that, that match? So Celta Vigo is a very weird one. I mean, they're a team who all season, you look at their squad and their attacking potential with Iago Aspas, Santi Mina, Rafinha, Denis Suarez. I mean, these are big players who've been a big team. I mean, Aspas was at Liverpool not so long ago at Sevilla. And then Denis Suarez, Rafinha, Barcelona, Santi Mina at Valencia. And you think, wow, there's few teams that can compete in, in quality alone. But they just haven't clicked all season long. They've just been really poor as a unit. They have shown moments of individual brilliance, but they haven't ever had that connection between them. And then this weekend, it, it finally happened. Their first goal since March since way before the restart began. And then they won 6-0 against Alaves. And so they, we suddenly saw this team that did have this kind of free-flowing football with some confidence with their strikers who were, were trying their luck with chances rather than looking terrified when it fell their way. So I think this will be a very different sort of ego to what it might have been a week or two ago. And yeah. Barcelona, obviously, a little bit shell-shocked after that was a draw with Sevilla, which has seen the drop into second. So a big contrast in, in confidence with these two teams. They'll respond. <laughs> well, that's what I want to ask you about, Alex. I mean, frustrating week, and then you go and you play some competition, which, frankly, you know are, are probably not up to uh, par of what, what your team is. H- how do you get up for games like that? You, you move on to the next one no matter what, and, and that's, that's just how it needs to be as a player. Obviously, the frustrations will be there. Everyone will look at the table and everyone will see Real Madrid has passed them. And now there's no time for for excuses, for, for necessarily blaming people. And that's, again, easier said than done. When you play with Messi, you can see his frustration towards the end of that Sevilla game with Griezmann, with, with all the midfielders around him. And that weighs on you, even for a World Cup winner like Griezmann, who's done it all, Right that weighs on him. And I, I definitely feel like mentally he's like, okay, I really need to do this because this is, this is Messi's team. This is his legacy. Like he's arguably the greatest. So we need to make sure that us as, as players, not only just for Messi, but for ourselves and for the club, for our own careers, we need to, we need to show up at a game against Celta Vigo. And what's interesting about Celta Vigo is they're not that bad defensively. You know, they've conceded what 35 goals. And Sam alluded to the fact that they have an underperforming, attack that should I mean those names those are some pretty big names and some pretty big big clubs that they've played for so they should be doing much better I mean they're they're way down there fighting for their lives um, so it's gonna be a very difficult game and, and Barcelona is gonna really need to respond not only in that game but but earlier this week against uh, athletic club interesting um, so Scott Real Madrid's gonna be playing um, a couple of uh, fighting for relegation uh, teams coming up. You know, you, you wonder, are they, are they speed bumps or are they going to be really fighting for the ex- existential existence in La Liga? Let's talk about Mallorca and Real Madrid. What, what, what's your take on that match? Yeah, so I think you're right. These, both of these matchups have that, that kind of trap game type of uh, image to them. So with Mallorca, it'll be interesting to see how they come out and press. Uh, so we saw in that match against Barcelona, they started off sitting much deeper and really just inviting Barcelona to, to enter the final third. And then in the second half, they changed it up, pressed higher up the pitch in a man-to-man scheme. So, you know, which of those two approaches do they take? Um, you know, if I'm Mallorca, maybe I tailor my pressing strategy 
based on um, who's starting for Real Madrid. So if Aiden Hazard's in the game, uh, just knowing that how well he and Benzema uh, link up together, I'm probably going to sit back a little bit further, deny those two space to get him behind. Uh, if, if it's someone like Vinicius who gets to start instead, I'd probably take my, uh, my chances pressing higher up the pitch. So I know that he has the pace to get behind me. I know that he's a great dribbler, but I also know that he struggles for that end product. You know, his deliveries into the box, his shots uh, really haven't been great. So even uh, this, this game when uh, he drew the penalty kick that Ramos converted, how does Venetia Stringer not put that one away? I mean, there was the little nick, but I mean, he took too long to get the shot off. Um, passed up a you know high quality opportunity. So, yeah, I think Mallorca has to come out fighting. Um, yeah, there might be some tired legs, but I mean, they're they're fighting for their lives right now. And you look at this this other game with Española. It's the same thing for them. Um, they've they've at least got four points since the restart. They put themselves in a position where you know it's it's at least a bearable climb out of that relegation zone, uh, and they've also got you know Raúl de Tomas, who's uh, a former Real Madrid player who who has shown very well since transferring from Benfica for twenty million, uh, and you know I think that goes to show how serious this club is in, in getting themselves out of this mess. So um, I think we will see Espanyol sit back a little bit further. Uh, they will look to counter. I'm not sure who gets the, the starts for Real Madrid in these two games, though. Uh, this will be really interesting because they do have a really tough run of games immediately after this week. So uh, I think you will see some pretty heavy rotations for this Real Madrid side. So opportunities for the upsets, they're right there for those two sides. I think that's a legitimate point with, with three games in their legs already and, and some hard games coming up. I mean, I guess that's why you have to show up and play the game, right? Um, speaking of which, let's move our attention towards some um, folks fighting for their Champions League um, prospects, which is Valencia and Villarreal. Sam, uh, how, would, how do you, would you read that game? I think it's kind of the opposite, the two polar opposites of Valencia side, which have been very inconsistent in the last few weeks. They've looked, I mean, at the weekend, they... They were very defensively strong and, and they were quite good in attack. I mean, we saw Gonzalo Guerrero scored a wonder goal. I mean, really brilliant effort that he ran kind of 60 yards before scoring, almost Lionel Messi-esque. And so that shows what they can do when they're, when they're on it. I think on the other end, we've seen Villarreal, who aren't as spectacular, not as spectacularly good and not as spectacularly bad. But um, they are a very consistent team when they get into a run of form, whether it's for good or bad, they do tend to pick up quite a few results, which are very similar. And I think they've been grinding out results and grinding out the, the draw that they need against Sevilla, picking up the one no wings that they needed before that. So I think up against Valencia, they'll fancy their chances. They've got a very injury hit and experienced defence. And I think that Pacar Cater and Gerard Moreno will, will fancy their chances of having a goal and then relying on their defence. Scott, also along that vein, uh, we've got Real Sociedad and, and Hatafe, who are really, they're all, the, they, along with Valencia and Villarreal, are, are really fighting for that Champions League spot. What do you expect to see out of that match? Yeah, we've seen Getafe really stumble out of the gates. Um, they have not looked great this season. Um, we do finally have a goal from a Getafe forward. 
So Mata did manage a goal uh, this afternoon. But, uh, you know, when you look at this specific matchup, I think we're going to see Sociedad have a lot of the ball. Um, I think it'll be a very compact game. Both teams do like to overload centrally. So Sociedad will need their, their two outside backs to really uh, give them the width to, to break that Getafe pressure. And as high as Real Sociedad like to play, uh, you know, they do tend to have four players uh, between the, the holding mids and the back line, you know, really trying to, to manage the space between the lines and also stretch the back line. Um, if Getafe can uh, find a lot of high recoveries, there's space to run into. So um, you know, I, I think Getafe will look to be very compact, very direct when they get the ball. Um, for Sociedad, it'll be a matter of stretching this field uh, to kind of disorganize that Getafe defense, maybe take them out of uh, a more central half the goal upon recovering. Um, and then, you know, they, we just need to see a little bit more from this Real Sociedad attack. I mean, they've not looked fluid whatsoever. Uh, even in this the game against Real Sociedad, like Sam was saying, it was definitely their best performance since the restart. But in the end, they still only generated 0.45 expected goals. So just not good enough. Yeah, I think both of these teams have really found it hard to get back into the swing of things after the restart. But I think we do have to remember that for Hetafe, they're trying to get back into the swing of the things with a much older squad, and it's going to be a lot more difficult for them than for Real Sociedad. I think we've already seen some signs from them against Real Madrid. They played quite well. I think soon they'll find their, their rhythm again, whereas... Hatafe really struggled. I mean, against Real Valladolid, they're playing on Tuesday and struggling again. So I think it will be interesting to see if Hatafe do Hitafe go do go on a little bit longer, struggling to to build up that momentum and the fitness. I mean, Jose Borlasso in his press conference was talking about how for the first twenty seven games of the season they won more aerial duels than their rivals in every single game, and then in the last three they've lost more than they've won in every single game. So it's an interesting kind of change for Getafe and they've really struggled with, with coming back from this timeout. Well, so I think that wraps up the important games of the week. Oh, wait a minute. There's that Barca Athletic game that uh, we should probably have a, have a conversation about. Alex, can you give us your thoughts on, on the Barca Atletico uh, game that's coming up? Uh, yeah, it's – what a game. I mean, is it's going to be – in my opinion, uh, a deciding game, deciding uh, swing in in the in the La Liga, La Liga title, and um, Atletico Madrid, if they continue on on the, the way they're they're going, the path they're going uh, through now, I think they're going to cause issues for for Barcelona. I think it's going to match up quite similarly to a Sevilla game. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of time to to get prepared for that game and to hope for Barcelona's sake figure some things out you know how they deal with with the wide play is going to be again like the Sevilla game you need to have you know more solutions than just playing centrally and allowing everyone to get behind the ball because that's Atletico Madrid's game you know as a as a frustrated Barcelona fan at times I think okay why do you have to wait for all of the 10 men to get behind the ball before you start playing quickly and playing combinations? Why can't you just transition faster? 
And so when they had Neymar, Suarez, Messi up top, that was that was what they did. They could they could keep the ball all game. They could break you down if you wanted to play a low block. But they could also transition extremely fast on the counterattack. So they don't have that right now. So Sam talked about Ansu Fati. I think Ansu Fati is going to be a key for Barcelona winning this La Liga title. I'm telling you. Because Braithwaite and Griezmann are just not getting the job done. Uh, I love Griezmann. You know, I'm half French. But he's just not a winger. You know, he, he plays in, in Messi's spot, essentially. And, and, you know, maybe I'll, you know, eat my words and he has a extremely good performance against his, his former, former club. I would love that. But it's going to be a, a difficult game. And uh, I'd love to hear Sam and, and Scott's take on that as well. Sam, what's your view on this? Yeah, well, I was at the game when the two teams met at the the Wanda Metropolitana, and Griezmann really struggled with with the expectations, with the pressure, with the atmosphere that was there for him. And I think the pressure's on him again now, and we've seen that he's kind of struggled to fit in. So I wouldn't count too much on him for Barcelona. But I think for me, looking at the two teams and comparing their form and comparing how they've been since the restart. I'd actually fancy a, an Atletico Madrid win. I mean, we've seen them picking up results. We've seen them scoring goals. We've seen them defending very well. And even when they haven't been playing that well, like against Valladolid, and even in the latest game, I think they've been doing okay, nothing too spectacular against Levante and, and picking up the goal they need to, to try and get the three points. So I think this could be a game that Diego Simeone maybe, whereas a few months ago, if it had happened, he would have been a bit scared of what the result might have been. I think now I'd be quite quietly optimistic that, that maybe Atletico Madrid could nab a goal against a Barcelona team who defensively aren't the best. And then I think he'll be quite confident that his defence, Jan Oblak, Jose Maria Jimenez, those kinds of players can, can hold out against a Barcelona team who have struggled for goals in the last few weeks. So, Scott, uh, I imagine as, as Real may be feasting on Mallorca and Espanol this week, uh, you probably... Uh, Watch this game match with some great glee. What are your, what are your take on things? Well, uh, I'm joining uh, Sam's bandwagon, so make some room. I'm heading over. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I don't think Barcelona can break down a low block, uh, especially if they do give Griezmann the start and he's up top with Messi and Suarez. I mean, how is this going to be any different from the Sevilla game? I mean, I, I think Alex is exactly right. <laughs> So you have no width. Um, you know, when you do have it, it's it's coming from deep, from Semedo and Alba. And, you know, even if they do get the ball into the attacking third, they're not going to send a cross. They have no targets. They don't cross anyway. The ball's coming right back into the half space. From there, you know, they'll, they'll look to uh, play into the box. But, you know, they're, they're playing into numbers. So I don't see them breaking down Atletico Madrid. Um you know, if anything, this break might have worked against Barcelona in that every team figured they have to play with three center forwards if Fati's not in the match. And now you set your defense to, to take away um, that central presence. So, um, you know, maybe some of the lesser sides aren't going to score goals against Barcelona, but uh, a team like Atletico, they can get behind this, this Barcelona back line, especially from the wings. And, um, you know, they're, they're scoring goals now. So they've, they've finally broken through this season. So I, I think Atletico Madrid fans can be uh, really excited for this match and, and at least have a, a very bright hope of taking away all three points. 
Chris, I need you to cheer with Barcelona with me. Well, I, I'm going to take the contrarian <laughs> view, guys. I, I'm going to go Barcelona because Barcelona's got Batman and Robin. Um, you know, Messi has not picked up a game and put it on his back and carried it over the end line in quite some time. And I just I, – I think it might be – the obituary might be a little premature quite yet uh, on this. Uh, and we'll see. I mean – uh, Suarez, you, you kind of think he's done. He's toast, right? And for somehow, some way, he does that freak, a freakish poach, and uh, or or gets that that penalty uh, the way that only Uruguayans are really exceptional at, at getting. Suarez has has really perfected. Um, so so we'll see. Uh, so I'm going to be. I think I think Barca is going to edge this one out here. So uh, and hopefully keep the uh, the title. Uh, um, the title competition nice and tight. So yeah. I, th I, I thought I'd spend a few minutes and talk about the update um, and just really kind of let's put everything in context because again, we've gone through three matches uh, in just a, a hurry, a hurry up offense type of thing. Sorry to mix um, football, different types of footballs up terminology, but Real Madrid, they take nine points out of nine. Barca takes seven. You know, Sevilla was a bit of a setback. Sevilla has gotten three ties. So um, you might think that they might have underperformed. Um, while as yet Atletico Madrid, they're, they're going to the bank with, with seven points out of nine. Um, and they pop into that, that uh, fourth spot right there. Uh, Hatafe has, uh, has decided that, um, you know, they're, they're dropping into the ocean like a submarine. Uh, they've only been able to take two out of out of nine points, uh, with some surprising tie, ties with one of my personal favorites, Ibar, uh, uh, and um, Villarreal has been able to take seven out of nine points. Uh, they've been able to move into it and get a little more comfortable in, in the Europa. Unclear whether they they're going to have what it takes to um, to move into um, a uh, Champions League spot. Real Sociedad drops uh, basically eight, eight points. They pick up one point. So they've also dropped like a, a rock. Um, and Valencia has been kind of win one, lose one, tie one. So, um, so key takeaways are Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid have taken care of business in the last seven or eight days. Real Sociedad and Hatafe have gone, gone in the wrong direction. So looking forward to, to the next uh, round of, of uh, matches at strength of schedule, some of the things that uh, I, I walk away personally from is, is that um, Sevilla um, seem like they have a fairly easy schedule um, as, as they walk on in. Atletico Madrid, um, you know, they've, they've got a little bit of work ahead of them with, with the Barca match and Hitafe a little bit later, but you know, they're, they're doing okay. While well, is at Valencia, even though they kind of did okay uh, with respect to the beginning, um, they do have a little bit lighter schedule with the exception of Sevilla, the last, um, the last game of the season. Villarreal has a tough go of it, and Real Sociedad um, have a really tough go at it. Um, I, I feel that Real Sociedad had its opportunity and, um, and uh, may end up going um, – the wrong way um, in in the coming week or so, uh, coming few weeks. Um, Sam, do you have any reflections on um, kind of how you think the the run in and is, is going to look like? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I'd agree with you there that Sevilla have got quite an easy schedule they've got there. I think looking back on, on my prediction a few weeks ago, Atletico Madrid, I think they can still win the league. <laughs> but they have got a couple of challenging games there. So I think Atletico would certainly second, settle for third. But I think, yeah, I think the, the biggest fixture that we can see anywhere there is definitely that Barcelona-Atletico game. I think that's the one that could decide the league title. And then in the rest of the race for Europe, I think Hetafe, Villarreal and Real Sociedad have all got quite difficult games coming up. They're all playing against each other. And so Valencia aren't in the best of forms. They're struggling with injuries. But I think looking at the schedule alone, they, they could be optimistic that they can make it into those Europa League spots. Mm-hmm. Scott, what's your take? Yeah, so looking at the, the upcoming schedules, I think that top four will remain unchanged. Um, realistically, the only, the only thing up in the air in the top four is just who finishes first, Real Madrid or Barcelona. Um, in the bottom four, I, I, I do like Real Sociedad's chances to to leapfrog a couple of teams, probably finish fifth. Um, at the moment, I, I just don't trust Getafe. I don't think they'll handle this uh, rigorous schedule to finish out the season. And Villarreal is about to run into a buzzsaw. Alex, what, what, are, your, what are your parting thoughts on, on the rest of the season here? take is I'm getting nervous that uh, I don't see Real Madrid really slipping up in these matches. You know, people say Hetafe, but I don't know. I don't think so. Um, Barcelona definitely has a, a tough schedule as well. Um, so it's, I think it's going to be right down to, you know, the, the last game with, with those two. Um, super excited about the top two, obviously. Sevilla, Atletico Madrid. I'm Although Atletico Madrid may seem to have the, the tougher schedule, I think they're going to jump over Sevilla and take that third spot. Sevilla is going to end up fourth, um, and we've already talked about it, but Hetafe and Sociedad, in my opinion, just keep going down or stay stagnant. So a lot of exciting things coming up. I'm excited to, to watch um, these, these upcoming games, you know, n- nervously, Scott and Sam, but um, it's excited. let's do it. Well, we're going to have an exciting week of football. Um, Andale, andale. Um, So first thing we'd like to do, and last thing, is we'd like to thank Total Football Analysis. They are the world's largest open source soccer analyst community. Please visit www.totalfootballanalysis.com. Join and support the revolution. For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. 